Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. You know, I tried everything under the sun to try to uh, fix my sin issue, fix my sin problem, fix the sins that had so easily, you know, worked their way into my life. I tried everything from accountability partners, uh, you know, where we would meet weekly and we would ask each other every single question under the sun to make sure that we're living, you know, good lives. I tried memorizing as much of the Bible as I possibly could. I, I used to meet with a guy and we memorized the entire Psalm 119. And if you're not familiar with the Bible much, Psalm 119 is 178 verses. And we, uh, we, so we memorized it because one of the verses, I think it's like verse uh, 10 or so, says that if we would hide his word in our heart, then we wouldn't sin against him. And so I thought that that meant that I got to memorize it as best as I can so that I would stop sinning. Another verse in there says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I disobey, when I do something wrong. Because there's shame, there was shame. And so I needed to memorize as much of the Bible as possible so that I could not sin. Um, I read books. I remember in college, a big book that came out was Every Man's Battle. If you're familiar with that book or that series, it's a book about sexual temptation and how to overcome, you know, different sexual habits and different things from just bad thoughts to more, you know, things like, you know, adultery and, and pornography, etc. And so I tried everything that I humanly possibly could try to modify my behavior and manage my sin problem. But I'm, a, I'm just here to tell you that um, all of those mechanical things that sound good, and I'm all for reading good books, and I'm all for memorizing the Scriptures, but those mechanical things did not curb the appetite of sin in my flesh. We've all done this. We've all been there. We've all tried, whether it's reading books or memorizing Scripture, we've all tried our best at different times in our lives to try to manage sin and modify behavior. Well, we've been walking through this letter that we call Galatia, and it's, it was, it's the, the area is modern-day Turkey, and Paul showed up with the message that Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer for everything. It's the answer for sin. It's the answer for death. It's the answer for shame. It's the answer for everything. And these Galatians, they started believing the message. Well, then, just a few weeks, maybe months at the most later, some other guys came to town and said, Paul only gave you half the message. Now, in order to really curb sinning, in order to really get a handle on this sin issue, we need to now go through the Scripture and find all the commandments and do our best to just live by those commandments. And this, this collection of commandments is called the Mosaic Law, including the Ten Commandments and 613 other commandments. Uh, 603 other commandments, 613 total, to just try their best to live by. And Paul was angry 
We've seen this as we've been walking through. And in essence, that's what I did for most of my life as a Christian, is just find the commands, what am I supposed to do, and then just try my best to do them. And if that sounds familiar, there's a lot of head shaking because we've all been there. We've all tried our best using all the power of our flesh that we have at our disposal to try to manage our sins and modify our behavior. What if I were to tell you, what if I were to tell you that it is possible, it's possible, I could be wrong, but it's possible that God has actually left us with some simple, easy instructions in the same Bible. I don't have a different one. I didn't go and get your Bibles out of your house last night and add what we're about to see. I didn't add it in. It's been there for 2,000 years. What if I were to say to you that there's actually some stuff in the Scriptures that we're going to see this morning that actually reveals God's actual plan for how we actually live in actual freedom from actual sin? Would you at least be a little bit interested to take a look at it? Maybe for a few minutes? Well, that's what we're going to do for just a few minutes to see what God's actual game plan is to live an actual life of joy, of freedom from this thing of sin. We'll see again today, we talked about it a lot last week, that sin lives in our flesh. Got a lot of comments, even um, Joey. I just, Joey was telling me about his daughter who was here last week was just talking about how wonderful the description of how sin and its desires are in our flesh and have set its desires against us and the, who now are in the Spirit. And, and when we start to see this, which James is going to talk about this at our Grace Conference a lot, when we start to see the division of spirit and flesh, that we, the, things really start to make a lot, of, a lot of sense. So let's go on to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pick up the last two verses of chapter 5, moving into chapter 6. Remember that when Paul was writing this, he didn't put in verse numbers and chapter numbers. He was just writing a letter. And men, many, many years later, in fact, there's a story of a guy writing on the back of a donkey uh, who put in the chapter divisions or the verse divisions because some, some of us think that they're just in these weird places. But we're going to actually continue from the end of chapter 5 on into chapter 6. Don't get confused that we have to start at a certain point, okay? So... Verse 25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, this should be, yeah. Can you see this okay? Can you see this? No, it's, it's kind of small. Oh, microphone's in the way. Um, we'll have to work, Drew, on getting our font bigger for next week, I think. What about, is that any better, Mary Rose? Can you, can you read it? Is, is it legible? It's a little small. So let's try to make it bigger for next week. But it's in your Bible. It's also in the Bible notes, bibleapp.lifejourneyva.com. Um, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Now, I don't think anybody came this morning looking for a, you know, a short little lecture on Greek grammar, except for, you know, there's one, I, I love Dudley because whenever we talk about Greek grammar, Dudley loves it. And so I love that about Dudley, a lot, a lot of other things, Dudley. But um, this is actually uh, this, if we live by the Spirit, this is, this, this, in English, it sounds like, eh, maybe we don't right? If we live by the Spirit, and maybe we do, maybe we don't. But that's actually not at all the way that Paul put this in the original language. In the original language, it is a first-class conditional sentence assumed reality, meaning if we live by the Spirit and we do. You see that? Another way to say it is since we live by the Spirit. There's no question. We live by the Spirit, okay? Then let us walk by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, you can also mean in the Spirit. And that's, in fact, the way that the King James and the New King James put it. This is the New American Standard. It says, by the Spirit. But the 
King James, New King James says, in the Spirit. Since we live in the Spirit, that's where we live, then doesn't it make sense for us to walk in and by that very same Spirit? So I think here's what Paul is saying. Brothers, sisters, listen. Since we live by the very Spirit of Christ, we live in the Spirit of Christ, it makes no sense whatsoever for us to walk around in this world by any other Spirit. We live in the Spirit of Christ, so let us walk by the Spirit of Christ. There's an invitation here. He's inviting you. And it's like we've talked about a community group where it's a lot of let us, let us, you know? Let us, let us. And so it's an invitation of the Apostle Paul, of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, invited to, to live together by this very Spirit in which we live. You know, for those of us, and I think there are many of you who are really convinced of the finished work of Christ, that we actually have been made holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus, you know, it doesn't make sense whatsoever for us to live in any other way than what we actually are. It doesn't make any sense to live by some other spirit. I want you to think in your mind right now of a perfectly, a perfectly synchronized group of soldiers. Think of like a color guard. I remember, you know, growing up, whether it be at a football game when the colors were being presented by a color guard or maybe just watching it on TV, I don't know why. I think I'm kind of a nerd with this sort of stuff. I would always try to see if I could tell who the sergeant was who was in charge. Sometimes, especially if they were a younger, like a junior ROTC sort of deal, you'd be able to tell, you know, who is stepping first, and then they all kind of follow. But sometimes when they're good, you can't tell. You can't tell who the leader is and who the followers are. Well, listen, here's what I think we want to see. The Lord's invitation for you and for me is that he's inviting us to see clearly so much of how new we are and how righteous we are, how in the Spirit we are, that we actually walk, march, move, if you will, by the Spirit in complete synchronization with him in our daily lives, just like that drill team. Now, what if that drill team... What if they were not looking at the sergeant, not listening, not in tune with the sergeant, but what if they were more interested in comparing their walk with the other followers, the other soldiers? Do you think they would walk very synchronized and crisp and sharp? Absolutely not. They'd be a laughing stock. And that's really what happens in Christianity. So many of us end up, instead of our eyes being on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, so many of us start comparing our flesh with each other's flesh. It becomes a flesh feast. And we think about how much we're doing better in this than they're doing better in that. And we end up walking in such crazy, unsynchronized fashion that now there's fractions and there's divisions and there's denominations and there's all sorts of garbage. But what happens if an entire church, let's just say for example's sake, I don't know, Life Journey Church, what if we, each of us, with our eyes squared so, square uh, firmly on the sergeant, the one leading this thing, the very Spirit of Christ, what if we are in such tune with Him that we all walk in such perfect synchronization and uni- unity with each other? I mean, that sounds pretty simple, but it's very difficult. Because there's this thing called the power of sin that lives in our flesh. 
And he gets into this in verse 26. He says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. You see, we can't have our eyes on Jesus and on what he's made us to be and be in perfect sync with him, living by the Spirit, if we are at the same time comparing ourselves with each other. Uh, Andy Stanley has a saying. He says, there's no win in comparison. Now, I don't think that's the right way you're supposed to pronounce comparison, but, you know, let's go with it. There's no win in comparison. And so if you are comparing yourself with someone else, you're probably looking at them either on their best day or on their worst day, and you're trying to judge how good you are and where you are in this whole equation. There's no winning in that. We become jealous. We become boastful. We challenge each other, and there's no fruit. There's no winning in that. And so what I hear the Apostle Paul saying, listen, we live in the Spirit. That's where we now reside. We live in the Spirit. The invitation for you and me is for us to now walk in that same way. It's very simple, but very difficult. But what happens when one of us, maybe ourselves, what happens when one of us actually stumbles into sin? James says, not James Barron, James the Apostle says, well, James Barron would agree, but James the Apostle says that we stumble in many ways. We've been made righteous, blameless, and holy, but because of sin that lives in our flesh, we get distracted and we chase after sin, and we sin in a variety of ways. What happens? How do we get out of that? How do we get uncaught? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul gets into, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, listen, brethren, You ever called somebody a brethren? I don't know. Maybe we should do that. Hey, brethren, Adam, brethren, Jim, I don't know. You could try it. Hey, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And there's some warning here. Each one looking out for yourself so that you... Two, will not be tempted, all right? Because sin is alive in you, and if you start, you know, if you're not careful, the, it'll, the, the, the sin in you will, be, will tempt you to do the things that, that they're doing, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the scenario. One of us, maybe even ourselves, has been caught in sin. How do we get out of it? I told you a little bit about how I used to try and try and try harder to get out of it. But how does it actually work? What's God's actual plan for this? Well, I got a couple words up here in red I just want to talk about for a second. Caught. You know, when I read this, you know, initially, I think that, like, somebody walked in and, like, caught you, right? Is that kind of the idea that you got when, you, when we read that? If anyone is caught, it's like, you know, you know, somebody's husband came home early, you got caught, you know, that sort of caught. Well, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't caught as in, you know, ah, gotcha, this caught is the idea of um, you've been trapped. Um, it's the idea of you've been overtaken by the sin that lives in your flesh. You know, it's not the idea. You know, in a Life Journey, we have the organizational chart. We have a, a creative arts team. We have a hospitality team that Lou leads up. We have a support team that, uh, that Ricky leads up, wherever Ricky is. We have a, a community group team, a Journey Kids team. What if we had a sin SWAT team? And the whole point of the sin SWAT team was to go around, knock on people's doors, you know, peek through the windows to try to catch people in their sins, all right? That's not what Paul's talking about. 
all right? I want you to imagine with me a bear, all right? I've never been bear trapping, all right? I just watch the Alaska Channel, you know, and I just watch what they do. But the, the, you're trapping a bear, you know, they set the big bear trap. You seen these big things that, that get them by the leg? All right, they put some food on it, you know, so a bear is just doing what bears do. I don't know, bearing. And they're walking around, and all of a sudden, they get distracted from whatever they're doing by some sort of fleshly appetite, namely their stomach. And they find themselves following a scent, and all of a sudden, they step somewhere, and immediately, immediately, that bear wants to be somewhere else, right? We make sense. But they can't get anywhere because they've been trapped. They've been caught. That's the idea of what Paul's talking about here. When anyone who is caught, you're trapped in a sin, and you know, look, with a sober mind, I don't want to be in this. I don't want to be a part of this. But, with, but because the thoughts of sin and the sin that lives in the flesh, because those thoughts are so interacting with your own thoughts in your mind, you just feel like there's no way out. So how do we get out? What's God's plan for this? Well, Paul tells us, he says, you who are spiritual, go to that man, go to that person in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I've got the word spiritual here in red for a reason as well. When you hear someone who is spiritual, what does that mean to you? Anybody? You who are spiritual. I'll tell you what it means to me. Like when I first, again, when you just first read through something. You know, I think of someone who is, you know, that super spiritual, you know, uh, pious uh, person um, that is always willing to give their super spiritual opinion about something. Yeah, I think of someone who might be critical, you know, judgmental, a little holier than thou, right? And then they pass their little spiritual, you know, wisdom onto you about somebody, somebody else or whatever. And whether you verbalize it or just under your breath, you say something like, well, aren't you just miss super spiritual, right? That's my thought when I read the word spiritual, someone who is spiritual. I don't know what your con. You might have a completely different, you might come from more of a mystical sort of background, you know, like new age sort of deal. And so the word spiritual is something totally different. Well, listen, your context of spirit, what the word spiritual means, well, my context of the words, it doesn't matter what our context means. What matters is what's the context of what Paul is saying. What the, what's the Holy Spirit saying in this thing? Well, the Holy Spirit has just, over five chapters, through the Apostle Paul, has, can I say, reamed out? I mean, he has just been, with a pen, violently opposed to what the Galatians have been duped into believing. Remember, the Galatians started off really well, and then all of a sudden, these Judaizers show up to say, hey, you've started off okay, but there's this long list of stuff that you need, now need to do in order to really be okay with God. And they said, oh, well, Paul didn't tell us this. So instead of trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for life and for godliness, they run over to Moses and say, okay, Moses, what do we need to do now? And so Paul has been angry that they have been so distracted. Do you really think that after five chapters of Paul putting them in their place because they think, of, they think that that's the way to, to godliness, do you think that now all of a sudden he's changing his ideas and, and defining spiritual as the Judaizers, the one who are so focused on sin management and behavior modification? Look, he might be changing subjects in, in, in context, but I don't think so. 
I think the whole point is to remind them that they have died to everything in this world. They've died to the world and everything that is of the flesh that is in this world the moment they first started trusting Jesus. So I'm pretty sure that, G- that Paul is not shifting gears and saying, okay, all that's terrible, but now when it comes to dealing with sin, we need to get to what I'm telling you not to be. Jesus called those types of people, you know, we call them the Pharisees, he called them blind guides, blind guides. How can the blind lead the blind? And so think about it. What is this word spiritual meaning in the context of Galatians? Well, God. Is God spirit or is God flesh? Now, it's a tricky question because, of course, God became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 24 says that God is what? You can say it. God is spirit. Now, what did Paul just say we are now? Since we are in the... You can say it. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Does Paul see us as living in the flesh? No way, Jose. Paul sees us as living in the Spirit. And so you who are spiritual, I'm going to give you my idea of what Paul's saying. I could be wrong. You give me your ideas later. My idea of what Paul said, you who are spiritual, you who see this reality of the death of the old man, you who see that is so much more than just flesh, but there's a whole spiritual reality just underneath the flesh where you now live in Christ. You, in other words, who see things the way God sees things, you go to that person who is caught in sin to restore them. You who see that sin has been cut away from this person and this person has died, has been buried, and has been raised a whole new creation. You who are spiritual, you who see life through the very lens of spiritual things defined by as the way God sees things, you go to that person to help restore them. But think about that. Those who are spiritual, in Paul's context, certainly not in mine growing up, but you who are spiritual are those who see that our union with the flesh has ended through our death with Christ. And we have been cut away from the flesh so that we could now have life in the Spirit with Christ. Those who are spiritual are those who see beyond the veil of this world, beyond the flesh, and see the reality of our new identity with Christ. Those who are spiritual in the context of Galatians, I'm submitting to you, are those who don't get distracted from Jesus and Jesus alone by some sort of sin management and behavior modification nonsense. Those who are spiritual and seeing this truth of, our, of life and a reality beyond the flesh, those are exactly what these people who have been caught in sin need around them. Someone who is spiritual, that is someone who sees the reality similarly. Now, who of us can ever see the way God sees, but sees at least the division of flesh and spirit. You who are, these who are spiritual, they come alongside of someone who is caught in sin, who is trapped in sin, and with a spirit of gentleness brings to remembrance the reality of what Jesus has done, the reality 
of what lies just beneath this thing we call flesh. Those who are spiritual, they remind the one caught in sin of what Jesus has done. The one who is spiritual, he or she reminds them of the truth, as my parents just saying, that all that we've done before doesn't matter anymore. The one who is spiritual reminds those who are caught in sin that regardless of the sin, their sin has not been just covered. We're not like Martin Luther says, snow-covered dung. Jesus hasn't just covered our, uh, our, our sin, but Jesus himself has taken it, what? Away. Behold, the baptizer said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who is spiritual reminds those who are caught in sin of the truth that they will never, ever, ever again give account to God for their sins because God has stopped counting sins in the new covenant. Why has he stopped counting sins? Because he counted them all against his own son and he will not count the same sin twice. The one who is spiritual reminds those who have those believers who are caught in sin, that they've died, that they've been buried, that they've been raised as a whole new creation. And whether we believe it or not, and I know it's hard to believe, it'll be on the screen later, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we now actually are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Those who are spiritual remind them that the fullness of God has now moved in and he's not going anywhere. Those who are spiritual, remind those who are caught in sin that they are God's and God is theirs. Those who are spiritual, remind those who are caught in a temptation, in a a trespass. Remind us, we remind them that there was never ever any good that they could ever do in order for Christ's life to become their life. And there is nothing, nothing, no nothing that they could ever do that is bad that could end the reality of Christ's life now being your life. You see this? You who are spiritual are you who see beyond the veil of this world to a much bigger reality. What did Paul say at the end of 2 Corinthians 4? He said, don't look, don't consider, don't consider, don't look at that which is seen, the flesh. But look at that which is what? Unseen. For that which is seen is what? Temporal. But that which is unseen is what? Eternal. The spiritual is the one who is walking in that reality. You who are spiritual, come alongside of those caught in sin. Be careful, because even though you see the reality of the division of flesh and spirit, you can get caught too. Be careful. But you who are spiritual, you who see the way God sees, remind them. Remind them that they may have some huge mess to clean up here with their friends or their wife or their husband or their coworker, whoever it is that they've sinned against. There's a huge mess to clean up. Remind, there's maybe a huge mess, but there is no mess anymore between them and God. Remind them, remind them that God took all that mess away by crushing his own son 
so that there would never, ever be any level of mess between us and God. Remind them. The spiritual reminds those cotton sins that God even loved them when they were a dirty, rotten sinner. When we, he demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. So if he loved us while we were still dead in our iniquities and the uncircumcision of our heart, just imagine the depths of his love even now that we've been made new from his very own loins through the Holy Spirit. You know what the one who is spiritual does? I hope you're picking up on a little theme here. The one who is spiritual reminds those of us who are caught in a trespass of what? Jesus. The gospel. That's Paul's 17-point process for overcoming trapment by sin. Remind them of Jesus. Remind them of what Jesus has done. You see, the good news of the grace of God is not just some formula to become a Christian. The good news of the grace of God is the very pathway by which Christ himself, who is living in us, begins to live through us. You see, the Judaizers, they had come to town in Galatia. They had come to town, and they had said, we've got our plan for righteous living. Our plan is the rules and the regulations that we have gone through the Old Testament Scriptures, and we've surveyed and we found them. We've numerated them, 613 of them. Now let's go do them. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We don't change from grace that gets us in over to law in order to get more and to go further. It's either grace all the way or it's law all the way. To combine the two at any point in time is sheer foolishness. We're going to take a quick detour from Galatians, and I'm going to read what Peter says about this very same thing. I'm just going to read it. We're not going to talk about it very long. Because if you remember at the beginning of Galatians, Peter was not seeing this way. Remember? He wasn't seeing spiritually. Paul had to confront Peter, the apostle Peter. He had to confront him because Peter was mixing law and grace. But Peter finally gets it figured out. And we read about it in Acts, I think it's chapter 10, Cornelius. Is that Acts 10, I think? But, um, but Peter finally gets it. He finally starts to see things spiritually. Look at Second uh, Peter, chapter, it's chapter 1. It says a 2 right there. It's chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What that means is everything that you need to live a godly life actually abides in you right now. You lack nothing. Let that sink in for a second. He has given you everything needed, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, through a growing revelation of Christ, who called us by glory and virtue, verse 4, by which we have, which, by which, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that, the, that, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. So because God promised something, because you believe something, you now have become a partaker of the divine nature. Wow. 
having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Okay, you see the separation here. The corruption that's in this world, the flesh, sin, you've escaped it, and you are now new, a whole new creation, a partaker of the divine nature. Now, what does that all mean? Verse 5, but also for this reason, because you're a partaker of the divine nature, giving all diligence, uh uh-oh, here, look at this, add to your faith. Whoa, wait a second, time out, Peter. Add to our faith, well, let's keep reading, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add perseverance. To perseverance, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, add love. And so we can read this, if we're not careful, and say, okay, these are the 17 things that I need to do in order to, you know, really be godly. But what was verse 3? Verse 3 said that every bit of this has been already what? given you. Every bit of this is already in you. So Peter is not saying, okay, go find this and bring it in. Peter's saying, this is in you. Let's bring it out. That's huge. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, for if these things, and he's talking about the Spirit of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, love, uh, kindness, uh, patience, self-control. He's talking about the Spirit of Christ. If these things are yours, and they are abounding, they're coming out, then you'll neither neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if this stuff is happening, these things or these qualities are manifesting through you, rock on, rock star, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep going. But look at verse 9, and and ask the Lord before you even look at this to open your eyes to see this. For he who lacks these things, self-control, brotherly kindness, patience, virtue, love. He who lacks these things, and can we get a witness to say at different times of the day, right? He who lacks these qualities, look at this, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he or she was cleansed of all their old sins. You see what Peter is saying? Peter, Peter is saying, the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying that we sin when we forget that we have been cleansed of all of our sins. So the solution to sinning, being caught in sin, is not to try harder to work our way out of the sin. Think of the bear. If he keeps on trying to get out of the trap, what's it going to do? It's going to actually rip the flesh away from his bone. Sorry to put that image in your mind. I just had it in mind. That's not a good image. Sorry about that. But Peter is saying, the Holy Spirit through Peter, that's a solution for our being caught in sin is a growing revelation, a reminder of the fact that we have been purified from all of our sins. Now go back to Galatians with me. That was a little detour. Do you see what Paul's saying in Galatians? Paul's saying the same thing that Peter's saying in 2 Peter. Paul is saying that the law is not the solution for sin, but rather a greater and greater revelation of what Jesus has actually done now that you are in him. And the ones who get this 
the ones who see the difference between the flesh over here and the spirit over here, the ones who see this, who see life through these spiritual glasses, if you will, these are the ones who are to come along any one of us who are caught in sin. Listen, if we don't see the reality of flesh and spirit and the desires of the flesh that wage war against the desires of the spirit and the spirit that wages, if we don't see that, if we don't have spiritual glasses on, if you will, and we then go and try to help someone who's caught in sin, we will end up heaping hot coals into their lap, making the situation even worse. Instead of bringing the refreshing reality of what Jesus has done. He wraps up what we're going to look at today with these three little verses. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Meaning, look, if you're looking to the flesh... For your validation, you're going to be sorely mistaken. That's what the Judaizers were telling them to do. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, stop this comparison stuff. Okay, yeah, they got up at 4 a.m. and prayed for 30 minutes. Fantastic. That doesn't make them more the partaker of the divine nature than you are. Stop comparing yourselves. For each one will bear his own load. Again, it's the flesh, a flesh focus we are not called to, to have, but a spirit focus. Being spiritual sees in this world the way God sees. Seeing not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So how we wrap this up this morning, get ready to head out. If you're new with us, we have this thing called a journey marker. It's just kind of a compress our thoughts into this one little idea, and this is it. Uh, I think. Is it there, Drew? I'll just go to my notes. We will sin. I think this is what Paul is saying, and Peter. We saw Peter say the same thing. We will sin less and less as we see more and more what Jesus has done for us. Does that make sense? So whatever it is that you're caught in, look, who of us in some way are not caught in some sort of sin? We usually think of Galatians 6, 1 as, you know, the biggies, you know, pornography, alcoholism, you know, these biggies. But let's just be honest. I mean, who of us doesn't struggle with the critical spirit? Who of us doesn't struggle with having to be right all the time? Who of us doesn't struggle with pride and arrogance? I mean, I do. Holly works with me. Holly knows, right? I do. My wife lives with me. She knows. But the only way to gain victory is to see this reality as God does. We have been separated from the flesh. Sin lives in the flesh. But its desires are not ours. And we have to wise up to this so that we can actually live in the reality of what Jesus has done. We will sin less and less as we see more and more of what Jesus has actually done. I don't have time to do what I wanted to do, um, so I'll do it very, very shortly. You know, J Jesus says, and I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, okay, Drew? Oh, we just don't have time for that. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 5 that Moses wrote about him. When Jesus was walking in Luke 20-something, uh, I forget, 
After his resurrection, he's walking to Emmaus with some of his followers, and he starts opening their eyes to see that all of the Scripture, all of the Old Testament is actually about Jesus. We on board here? We on the same page? So that means that when we read through the Old Testament, if we don't read through the Old Testament of what in this world is this revealing about Jesus, then we're going to totally miss what the Old Testament's about. Okay? Go home this afternoon. Oh, yeah, homework. Go home this afternoon and read Genesis chapter 30. It's an event. I was going to say a story, but that makes it sound like, you know, once upon a time. It was an event where a man named Jacob had married a couple of sisters, Leah and Rachel. And the time had come for them to move away from, their, from Jacob's father-in-law. His name was Laban. And Jacob comes to Laban and says, Laban, it's time for me to take what is mine. I've worked for you for a long time for your daughters. I didn't even want both of them, but I got stuck with the oldest one. Uh, He didn't say that. That was my narrative. Um, And and it's time for us to move on and be our own family. And Laban says, sure, what's your price? What do you want? And Jacob says, "If, if I can just walk through the flock and find all of the speckled and spotted sheep, you know, the ones that you don't really want, those can be mine and I'll just take them on, and you can keep all the good ones for yourself. Read it for yourself, Genesis 30. And so Laban, a very dishonest man, says, all right, you got a deal. And Laban takes his sons, and they go through the flock, and they pick out all the speckled and spotted ones before Jacob does, and they take them away from the flock, so there's nothing left for Jacob. Deceit. Get that? We all together on this? So what does Jacob do? I don't know why Jacob does this, but if we don't ask the question of what does what Jacob is about to do reveal about Christ, then we're going to miss what Jacob does. Jacob goes and gets some sticks, some poplar sticks, some other types of sticks, and listen to what he does. And I might not be able to make it through this. He takes these sticks, and he starts peeling the bark off. Revealing what's inside, the white of the stick. And he puts the sticks in the feeding troughs, in the water holes of the sheep. And he sits back and watches. And all these sheep, they come up to, take, to eat from the feeding trough and to drink water. And that's where they mate, the sheep. And the sheep are mating staring at what's inside of a stick. Not the outside, not the bark, but what's on the inside. And the offspring, the fruit, the byproduct of that mating of, of, of sheep that were not speckled and spotted, the offspring, read it for yourself, I'm not lying to you, the offspring were sheep that were spotted and speckled. Those sheep saw something that was in the stick, and the fruit they produced was what they saw. Now, I could be dead wrong on this interpretation. I am not your teacher. The Holy Spirit in you is. But maybe, just maybe, when Jesus is walking to the road to Emmaus and he says to those two guys, you remember Genesis 30 and that whole stick thing? They're like, yeah, what's that all about? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is saying, listen, 
There's a whole other reality. And if you were, would gaze beyond the veil of this world, beyond the veil of this flesh, and see the true reality of what is in you now, the glory of God now in you, the very same thing that is in you will be manifested through you as you rest, as you eat, as you drink, as you be merry in joy. Not in labor, not in effort, but a revelation of Christ. So if you are stuck in some sort of sin, you are caught in some sort of trespass and you want out, please listen to what the apostles are saying. Gaze beyond the veil. Maybe go home and find a stick and peel the bark off and say, God, help me to see what I really am. Because only by seeing who I really am will I live in this world. If we live by the Spirit, if we see who we really are, let us walk in that same Spirit. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of The Teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.